0: Welcome to the Yana podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, hear stories of strength, and get all in our feelings. So we can remind you that you are not alone.
1: Our hosts are me, Carly, and Becca. Both of us are super passionate about mental health, advocacy, education, and shattering that stigma. We love creating opportunities for young people to share their stories. And experiences about navigating mental health and life in general.
0: The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language listener discretion advised hello everyone
1: welcome back hello hello and welcome
0: welcome (laughs) to the yana podcast so today we have a really awesome guest as always but very exciting guest today and um before we introduce him we are going to tell you why we do this podcast yay oh yeah Carly and I
1: both work for NAMI. We do, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And Becca and I are the luckiest ones because we get to work for the NAMI Philadelphia, Pennsylvania affiliate. And we do a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, we sure do, we sure do. Like work. what, tell tell everybody about the
0: cool stuff we do. <laughs> um, well, so we do a bunch of stuff we're an advocacy organization, we um, provide resources, we you know provide support, support groups, things like that. And then we also offer a bunch of different educational programs, one of which is called Ending the Silence. And Ending the Silence is a teen mental health, educational awareness program, and um, we go to schools, youth programs, colleges, all over the place. And we talk with young people about mental health. And the best part about it is that it is always paired with a young person who shares their their story of their mental health journey. Now, since COVID happened and we, you know, the world shifted (laughs) as it did. Yes um, we couldn't do things the way that we had been doing them before. So we, um, you know, wanted to come up with a place, a way to give young people a platform in which they could, you know, share stories, hear stories, have conversations surrounding us. Yeah. And so therefore, there one on a time in a land far, far away
1: on the <laughs> web's, just as every single, <laughs> every episode is this.
0: best. False came false. <laughs> the, Young Yana Queens, the Yana podcast. And what does Yana stand for?
1: Yana stands for You Are Not Alone. Woohoo! You yeah. are not alone. That's so, the spiel. That is the spiel.
0: And so today we have an awesome guest. And his name is Sean Hyatt.
1: Yes, (laughs)
2: He
0: (laughs) he has been a major advocate for mental health for most of his life. He lost his father at eight years old by suicide. At first, he heard about NAMI when his mother would attend support groups for grief and loss of a loved one. For the past four months, he has had the pleasure of being president of NAMI Drexel on NAMI on campus. He loves the role as president and there are five other board members who are part in planning events and meetings for the organization as well. In addition, he is an active member of NAMI Philly as a peer facilitator of an LGBTQIA plus support group for 18 plus year, 18 and older years old individuals <laughs> current major at Drexel University is psychology with a mind and psych rehab Ooh. recently he just finished his internship at Belmont behavioral health hospital for seven months as an academic behavioral health associate or also known as a tech um he looks to inspire others by being part of this podcast by telling his story and give useful life lessons to listeners and viewers oh I love welcome Sean thank
2: you I'm so happy to be here it's been been a long wait but it's well worth the wait
1: yes oh my god we love Sean Sean is like just such (laughs) good energy and good people and when I heard about Sean and met Sean and like virtually met on and then in- person met Sean, you exude so much joy and so much passion for mental health advocacy. and you can just feel it whenever I'm around you or near you or hear about you. You're just so <laughs> <we're> good. <laughs>
2: A chef's
1: kiss. Yes, chef's kiss. Yes, you are a chef's kiss. And the work that you do with NAMI on campus is so important. Um, And just like your story and how you give back to the community and the communities that you are a part of is just like we need more Sean's in the world. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You're welcome. Just spitting out comments today. Yay. I love it. Very cool. Well, yeah. before we jump in to all things Sean, um, we're going to do a little check in. We're going to little check in with each other, kind of see where we're at, see how our hearts are and get into a good spot before we uh, hand over the mic, the virtual microphone to Sean. <laughs> so just kind of let me know how you guys are. I'll start, I'll check in and let you know what's going on in the world of Carly. And then we'll go to Becca and then we'll go to Sean. This is like, for those who are listening, who are NAMI people, this is like our support group check-in model. (laughs) This is what we like to do before all our support groups. So um, I'm Carly, obviously. I'm I'm doing good. I feel so proud of my NAMI team. We just wrapped our 2021 NAMI walk. Um, It was this past weekend and it was, so incredible. It was honestly such an inspiring event and just seeing everyone come together and rally together for mental health awareness and education, raising money for NAMI. It was one of those moments in your life where you kind of just are like, this is one of those times, like this is making a list in my brain, in my heart somewhere for like top most incredible moments. So For everyone who's listening that came to the walk or that supported the walk, thank you for coming because you really made such an impact. So I'm still floating on that cloud. I'm still floating on the cloud and I'm just getting super excited for next year. Um, So, and I also feel a lot less stressed. So cheers to that. Cheers to my stress being less. Yay. Awesome, yay. (laughs) Yay, okay, cool. That's me, Becca, how are you?
0: Um, I'm 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 okay. I'm I'm really I'm feeling a lot of stress actually. <laughs> um, I'm just feeling kind of overwhelmed with things in life right now. Um, got a lot on my plate, um, but you know I'm happy to be doing this right now because I always love talking to our guests, and I'm really excited to hear more about Sean's story. Um, we've met a few times now virtually and, um, you know, so I, I don't know everything about him and I'm excited to learn more. So I'm excited to be here.
1: Yay. All right, Sean. Hello Hello
2: guys. Um, I'm feeling decent. I'm feeling happy to be here. Fortunate, uh, the past week I've been under the weather a little just because, i just caught a cold it's been actually coming around at drexel like it's yeah. been going around pretty quick but it's been a, it definitely is a lot better than the day before yesterday so good. Um, i got medication so we're okay um but everything's <laughs> good. good um yeah check in i mean school's busy but i mm. just gotta stay on the grind.
1: Yes, get on that grind. School is hard work. I remember being in college and it being, you know, it ebbs and flows. Like sometimes you have like really easy semesters and everything is going well. And then like midterms come around or big things come around and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do, I can't do anything. Right.
0: I'm I'm so glad I'm not in school anymore. Like I I was not a school person. I did not like. I did not like school. Like I've thought about going back and getting a master's and stuff, and it's just like, I don't know. It's school's tough. I hate that feeling of something hanging over your head all the time. Although it's kind of like the same as working from home. That's kind of felt, but yeah. So.
1: You're inspiring, Sean. You're always yes. on the grind. You're always hustling, always yeah. doing something for sure. And you are an inspiration to so many people. And I'm sure after we hear about your story, people are going to be like, whoa, this,
2: kid, yeah. Thank this
1: you, kid. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we're all checked in. You know, we're all feeling various, various feelings, which is valid, right? Everyone feels different things at different times at different stages and all of which are valid. Sean, Sean, tell us about your journey to mental with mental illness. Your relationship to mental illness, why it's important to you. I feel like some people start at the very beginning of time. Let's
2: start at the very beginning. So I go way back. So I'm currently 21. So I was born in 2000, but I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. I was born in like this suburban town. It's called Ricer's Town. It's actually really funny. But um, yeah, I mean, I grew up. Um, in a fairly nice town it was very diverse Mm -hmm. uh, growing up Um, and I'm about my hometown is about 30 minutes from the city so I was more like a Baltimore County guy Um, and then growing up um, I had a pretty nice childhood like up to you know eight years old Um, I was involved in theater and dance Yes. Um, I actually did theater for 12 years of my life. I'm proud to say that.
1: Uh, you better be. I am a huge theater kid too. So yeah, um,
2: we're
1: twins. my
2: first, I will say my fun fact, my first role in theater was Chip and Beauty and the Beast at a summer camp
0: my god. no way that is so cute
1: I, was,
2: <laughs> I think i was nine or ten years old and it was in front of like k through five like campers oh like middle schoolers and like <clears throat> it was oh amazing oh my god Oh my god. yeah i bet you were so cute as a
0: little chip oh my gosh, I it was it
2: that. was just so cute because i had a little like teacup and then there was like like buckles inside so i would like oh, yeah, hold this cute. physical like teacup that was like custom made like it was a very like nice like summer camp theater program. Oh uh-huh.
1: I, I love that. I <laughs> I love so cute. I'm gonna need you to send me a picture if you have one. I know, seriously, please.
2: <laughs> yes, I will, yeah, I will send it to you guys and then maybe we'll use addition, it. As a I have <laughs> I have what it's called a jufro as well. Oh this yes stage of my life.
1: Uh-huh. You know? I'm very me. familiar with those. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Well we went on a little tangent, go back we went on and- a tangent, but yeah. <laughs> so theater kid. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So in 2000, so in 2009, mm-hmm. um, in 2009 about May, mm-hmm. so the, like the month of my birthday, um, my father and my dad were, I mean, not my father, but my, mother, my mom and my dad were divorced at the time. And they got divorced in the end of 2007. And then my my dad actually was diagnosed with bipolar about around the same time. And in 2009, my father, as Becca said in my um, preview of my life, um, he passed away due to suicide. Uh, And it was very unexpected. And, you know, losing. Losing a parent at such a young age is really difficult because you know I was eight and then I also meant to mention I have an older brother who is about four years older than me, so I'm a younger sibling. Um, So going through that grief at like eight years old, losing a parent, seeing your mom in such grief, really understanding what's going on. Whereas like I'm eight years old and my brother was 12. So my brother took it a lot deeper than I did Um, especially at the funeral like it was just hard because you know I think I vividly remember Mm -hmm. my mom telling me like how he passed away but I didn't understand it but my Mm -hmm. brother understood a little more just because he was he was uh in I want to say what was it
0: like Seventh grade yeah I mean I feel like that's uh I feel like that's a big age like not just like four years but like the th-
1: so mentally
0: process you know at I mean because you're hitting puberty at 12 so like you are actually right. like is developing a lot differently
1: so yeah that's and a- grief like grief is big right so like right. Sean I lost my dad um in a car accident when I was 10 mm-hmm. so I was really young too and like grief in and of itself is mm-hmm. heavy and hard to process at that mm-hmm. young of an age. Like I don't mm-hmm. think I processed grief until I was literally in college. Yeah. But like losing someone by suicide right at eight a parent like those things are super complex and hard to understand at such a young age. So I think that that's a valid experience, yeah, right? You have absolutely. Not to, to have it all figured out and understood. Right. Like I
0: I lost my uncle to suicide when I was 12. And I, I yeah, it's just, it's really hard to understand and wrap your head around
2: mm-hmm.
0: what that means and then throw in the idea of mental health. So anyway, continue.
2: Thank you. No, it's fine. I, I love this discussion. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then to describe my father, like my father, I kind of, I see a lot of myself in him. He was a heart of gold. Like he was very outgoing. Like everybody loved him. I think, you know when it happened, it was so unexpected, and all my friends and my dad's side of the family is actually bigger than my mom's side, surprisingly, so I'm a lot closer mm. to my cousins that you know are distant or close like I'm like right. best friends with some cousins that like are fourth or fifth cousins like right. it's just it's amazing um, and yeah, so I mean after that happened, I mean uh growing up I was I would consider myself more of like a mama's boy and my brother more of like a athletic like you know father father like son I mean obviously of like, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Okay. uh so my dad and my brother my brother had a really really close relationship so when <clears throat> he passed away it was really hard for him he bawled immensely um but you know, growing up, me and him did not get along at all. You so and your
1: brother you and your dad?
2: Me and my brother.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we were just a polar opposite in different interests and everything. And then, yeah, so growing up, um, I had trouble with also with my identity and mental health. Okay. Um, so about in middle school, so transition from like elementary school or like middle school, um, I was just bullied a lot um I also had like a higher voice and like a lot of people like picked on me and like like called me like f words like fag and it was really hard for me and my brother at the time also probably maybe in like elementary school middle school called me similar names so it was hard for me to like it was hard for me to like cope because I was also I was dealing with my father losing like father at a young age and then only having like a having a single parent and then also on the other hand worrying about like myself about how like who I am like who who do I identify as who should Mm -hmm. I identify as Mm
0: -hmm. because I really like growing yeah
2: yeah I mean growing up I didn't have like a you know say LGBTQ role model or like someone that I could be like oh maybe this is how they like How their coming out experience was, or like how how they dealt with this bullying about like the specific term or like this this type of bullying. Yeah. Was there? Go ahead. You can go first.
1: Um. No, you go ahead. (laughs) My question number one was: What was the? I want to like after your dad passed what was the support that was there for you like at an eight as an eight-year-old like did your school acknowledge it did your like fan like how did you get through that
2: so it's interesting that you asked that question because when my father passed away I was in third grade because I think yeah so my brother was in like seventh grade um after he passed away you know, I was not at school for a couple of days and something was delivered to the house and it was from my elementary school from like my class. And it was a whole box of just like cards of like, um, sorry for your loss, um, you know, hope you get better, hope you feel better, hope oh your family God. is better. And like all these kids just wrote down like a note. And I think that they handled it very well. Um, I mean, it really meant a lot. I mean, obviously it was overwhelming at such like a young age, but like seeing like these kids that may have like maybe I didn't feel comfortable around, or maybe like mm-hmm. I thought that like I wasn't fitting in or something. But like seeing like support like that um, yeah. was just like really amazing because it was like the whole class. I mean, it wasn't like the whole school, but it was right. like the class. Because right. you know, like elementary school, it's like a closer community, it's not right.
1: like- and that's, that's tangible for an eight-year-old too, right? right. Like to receive mm-hmm. that kind of support, like an eight-year-old can comprehend that. And it means something to them, in like it impacts them directly. So I think that that's a really interesting response to that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, especially if you were feeling like, you know, not maybe fitting in or like, you know, maybe not safe um b- because of your peers or, you know, like at home because of like the way that you were being treated by your brother and your, and your peers, like, you know, with with words that are, you know, um, that are really hurtful. Yeah. So um, that must have been, that must have been affirming in a way, you know. Um, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, and this started really young, the way that people were using words like you just said or like teasing you or like that started like.
2: I would say as young as like nine or 10.
0: God, that's just so upsetting yeah. to me yeah
2: And you, you're like you're thinking like 2010 too so it's it was still <laughs> oh my god first of all right, yeah like
1: that was my other question right before before you keep going into your story like was homosexuality or lgbtqia <laughs> stuff like talked about in your school in your circle and your family like what was your exposure to to other community members
2: I think my only exposure was like on television
1: to be honest
2: I think I wasn't like maybe I had seen like people that maybe you're like oh maybe like maybe they are but like I didn't want to assume right um
0: and what was your exposure on television I'm just I'm just curious like based on because like now like I'm talking like 2010 I'm like I'm 30, so no, I'm just, like, I'm, I'm curious as to, like, what a 10-year-old's exposure on television looked like at that age, you know, like, we had a, a, somebody on who's my age who was talking about, like, my so-called life, which was on the early, <laughs>
2: so
1: I'm just curious as to who what was, like, a gay and like. popular in 2010? Like, let's, yeah. let's run it down. I know exactly what,
2: like, I know exactly what people would think, like, if they were my age, they'd be, like, because I was a Disney, a Disney guy. So I wasn't, oh. I wasn't more Nickelodeon. I was like, Hannah Montana, Sweet Cody. Yes. yes. Particularly either, maybe it was like Hannah Montana. I think it was Hannah Montana. There was like this very flamboyant guy who really stood out and things like that. Like it was never like said on Disney, but it was like discreet and kind of like put under the rug being like, oh, like, this is probably, like, it was very biased, I feel like. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like, some gay culture at, like, when I was, like, 10, 11 years old was very, it just wasn't, one, it wasn't talked about, but two, it was dramatized in a certain way, and it wasn't really accurate, because you don't need to be flamboyant to be queer right like you don't like you're not too masculine like you can be you know non-binary like you can
0: right yeah. right there so... wasn't like all the other letters so to speak you know it was mm-hmm. like lesbian gay bisexual <laughs>
1: like
2: exactly
0: the representation right
1: very interesting well thank you for sharing all this thing so let's get back to your your story so you're still feeling kind of like shameful and hurt by your brother saying these things your classmates saying these things yeah and then it got
2: to a it got to a point where i had to like report it i mean they weren't like physically like doing anything but it was more of just a lot of like verbal stuff so I had to like report it to like the principal's office and then they had to like meet with like two other people. So I mm-hmm. got to a point in middle school where I was just like having enough and then like, um, like my mental health was struggling, but in middle school, I never like, I didn't get to a point where I felt like I wanted to hurt myself or anything. Um, and then when I came to high school, I would, yeah, so wait, 14, um, at the time, my brother- was just diagnosed with bipolar, Mm -hmm. and did you know that that was
1: happening, like, was, were you, did it, like, surprise you?
2: So, it surprised me, but it didn't, um, because I was 14, and he was 18 at the time, so he had just graduated high school. He was, he was just attending um, West Virginia University, um, and I was just going into freshman year of high school, and it was right, it was the summer right before, I think, Of high school and he hadn't moved into college yet and it was it was really difficult because he was going through a lot of mania hypomania like a lot of irrational thoughts Mm -hmm. um that i was experiencing at 14 and i was very confused and then at the time i mean it was still discovering my identity i hadn't come out yet um i don't i don't even i didn't even know what i was yet or didn't really come to terms with it so dealing with that now and then he was hospitalized um by like of a course of like from 18 to 22 like five times four or five wow. times wow. so I mean it didn't get to a point where he wanted to <laughs> self inflict or like self-harm but it got to a point where like he was becoming aggressive irrational like spending money um so yeah and then he didn't he didn't really believe in like the medication approach he wanted to do more of like the holistic approach of um getting diagnosed with bipolar so so then yeah and then our i think as, as i said earlier um me and my brother didn't have a close relationship but when he went to college and he was going through this, you know, stage of crisis and mental health crisis and and that stuff. And our relationship kind of grew a little more uh, because he was, you know, he was in college. I was in high school. We were growing up more. And when he was going through these stages, I mean, I was calling him. I was making sure like he was okay. Like, I mean, you only have I mean either one sibling or you know you have blood that like you can't really deny that like he's your blood and like although he might piss you
1: off and irritate you but you cared about him
2: exactly there's always going to be unconditional love there and you must
1: have also I mean
0: so I'm like literally feeling like I'm like gonna cry here because you're kind of describing my brother my brother's perspective really mm-hmm.
1: oh wow yeah
0: um my brother was struggling was dealing with his identity as a as a queer man and and um and then living with a
1: and walking old- through your journey
0: who was by bi- was bipolar um wow so,
1: how um, parallel is that
0: I know I know <laughs> um so I'm like sitting here like but I uh <laughs> like I know that um, you must have also had that added layer of fear of knowing what can happen to somebody who is bipolar and not you know you know the you were very very aware of the most serious thing that can happen to somebody who's bipolar so right. that must have been an even greater fear that you were experiencing and also triggering that trauma. Mm-hmm.
2: And then also at 14, when I was dealing with this, um, you know, crisis with my brother, I was introduced to therapy. Oh, So um, my mom and I actually started going to therapy. We didn't go together, but we actually ended up seeing the same therapist. Obviously, it was like separate appointments, but like, um, and then my brother did not believe in therapy. I don't think to this day he's been to a therapist, which kind of like. Makes me a little certain way because I'm a firm advocate of therapy. Right. I think that everyone deserves to at least have one appointment and see how it goes. Yes. Because I mean, we all have I something. I think to literally deserve. every
0: person, no matter
2: yeah. everyone <laughs> like, can have access how, to therapy. Then, yes,
1: like we have to go get a physical once a year. We have to go to the dentist twice a year. Like everyone should have to go to the ther- to go to a therapist twice a year at yeah, least. And no
0: matter yeah. what everybody's got stress in their life and it right. be able to talk some talk things through you know i mean it's just like it seems like a no-brainer to me but anyway um yeah <laughs> um you know what actually i'm sorry to interrupt but let's take a quick break um yeah. and then uh we'll be right back sounds good Want to hear more of Sean's story? Then tune in next week for part two. I promise you are going to want to hear what comes next. If you or someone you know is in crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or you can text NAMI to the Crisis Text Line at 741741. Or go to NAMI.org for more information. Remember, you are not alone.